Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Secret Origins of Mink Condition. I am James, and with me is Joe. Good morning, folks. And Chris. Hi there. And we have two uh, special guests, friends of the show, Josh Bernhard. Good morning. And John Woodmore. Hey, everyone. And we are gathered, or should I say regathering <laughs> today, to talk about Babylon 5 which uh, Mink Condition brought all of us in this, in this podcast together. But Babylon 5 was something that also brought all of us together. Uh, we have a long uh, history that we could talk about uh, with Babylon 5 that hopefully we will get to in this episode. But uh, beyond that, um, at the time of this recording, a few weeks ago, JMS announced that he is rebooting Babylon 5, and he is going to be showrunning it, and he is in the, currently in the process of writing the pilot. Uh, is going to be on CW, and as far as we know, other than that, we have John Sheridan returning as a character. We don't know what else is going on. So I thought to kick us off today, since we were all kind of chatting about it offline, um, let's go around and just get everyone's reactions to the news of the reboot. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to our guests first. So Josh, why don't you give us your first impressions about the news of the reboot? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, just really quick, I don't know that it's confirmed that John Sheridan is. Is returning as a character. Um, the announcement um, s- s- sort of had a logline for what uh, B5 is about, and it uh, mentioned John Sheridan as the main character. I don't know that that means that uh, uh, the character is uh, being recast and returning. Um, but that's something that we can uh, get into a little bit later. My initial reaction was kind of shock, uh, frankly. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I had some mixed feelings about it uh, just because, you know, like you were saying, James, I think uh, for a lot of us, um, I know certainly for myself, the original series of Babylon 5, which is a strange thing to say, but, but the original uh, B5 was very formative uh, to me. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that um, you know, I really internalized a lot of the um, the philosophy and um, morality and um, and even uh, politics. Frankly, I think uh, uh, you know a lot of what the original show was infused with. Um, I think I really it really left a big impact on me um, at that you know tender age. You know, ninety three, ninety four to 98 was, uh, you know, I was 10 to 14, 15 years old. So um, it certainly left quite an impression. And yeah, the the idea of rebooting that show um, sort of uh, left me a little uncertain. Um, uh, But then I think, you know, JMS has subsequently said online that you know, he's sort of approaching it as kind of a reimagining, uh, you know, in the vein of the new Battlestar Galactica and its relationship uh, to the original uh, Battlestar Galactica, where it's not a straight up, uh, you know, um, storyline for storyline uh, by the numbers remake. It's sort of more getting into the DNA of the original show and um, using that as a launching pad for a new exploration of those same themes, but one that, you know, reflects um, modern concerns and sensibilities. And so, 
you know, that said, if he has an idea that he's excited about, and I, I believe that he does because I don't think he would agree to do something that he didn't think um, he could um, have his heart uh, uh, fully in. Um, I'm really curious and I have gotten excited. I've gotten very excited about it. And that's what I will say about that. That sounds good. So John, what do we, let's get your impressions of it. So I actually remember talking to Josh about it, you know, within a day or two of the news and, I went through sort of an entire emotional journey, an arc of my own. Initially, it was just sort of disbelief because I couldn't imagine it being real, you know, a headline like that. And then sort of that typical fanboy reaction of don't mess with what's already there. Uh, And that probably lasted a few hours, maybe a whole day. Um, And then next up, all of a sudden it switched. I started remembering uh, various passages from JMS autobiography Becoming Superman, which I recommend to everybody who's a Babylon 5 fan, even though it only covers only a chapter or two specifically on Babylon 5. Um, but you see his journey as a person, as a writer. Uh, and for me, what he talked about Babylon 5 and how they basically gave this wet behind the ears writer with no production experience, the keys to the kingdom as an executive producer, writer, and showrunner. And that now he's coming back you know, decades later with years of experience, I don't know, something just has said to me, there's going to be something here. He's going to be able to do something in a way that he didn't have the ability to before. Um, and when you do read his autobiography, you realize the stories that are in this, in this man with this incredibly complex uh, life full of its own crazy stories that I really think there's going to be something new and magical here. Uh, and I don't have any idea what it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be uh, the Babylon 5 that we uh, grew up with. And repeating what Josh said, this was a show that was so formative to me. The first sci-fi show that I think I saw with a story arc continuing that just built and gave me excitement every week for some mystery that was unfolding that I couldn't predict, that I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was super excited to be along for the ride. And that's the same feeling I have right now. A little bit of caution, obviously, because it's a new show and it's the CW Network, so we don't know how they're going to, you know, involve themselves in that. But yeah, I'm just super excited now. That's great. We'll just keep going around the room and then we'll reflect on each other. So, Chris, what are your impressions or thoughts? Sure. Um, I think my my reaction was much less complex because I wasn't as I wasn't as invested in B5. It wasn't, it, you know, it, as an artist, it didn't inform a lot of my my artistic choices, sensibilities, that sort of thing. <clears throat> um, I, as John said, I think everybody absolutely has to read Becoming Superman um, I think it's it's really terrific and offers a lot of insight um, into into his life, into his his creativity, um, and and a lot of other things too. But <laughs> so the reason I say all that is because I really respect the man as a creator and as an artist. Um, I am personally of of I don't want to say the belief because that that makes it sound a little too heavy. I'm very much one of those people who likes an ending to a story. Um, I've talked about this a couple of times now. It's one of the reasons I've really pulled back from comic books is that so many of them don't actually mm-hmm. end. They just keep going. It's one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of The Expanse is because it ends. It was always planned to end. It's going to end in book nine and season six, uh, you know, coming coming November, December, respectively. 
So I like that stories end. I'm good with Babylon Five being done. Um, I don't, I don't really miss it. I guess it's it's I'm 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 happy with it with it the way it is. Um, but if he feels he has more story to tell, then I respect that. I'm sure he'll do really good work with it. I'm not particularly interested, not because I don't think it will be good, but because I had sort of already closed the in my brain. I had sort of already closed the the book on on those stories. Um, I sort of felt the same way about Harry Potter, um, all the issues that I have with the, the multitude, the literal multitude of issues I have with JK Rowling aside and how I, I don't purchase anything that she's created because I don't want to, I don't want to give her my money, frankly. Um, the Harry Potter books ended up meaning a lot to me. And I, I love the Harry Potter books. I did not need the play. Um, I ended up reading the play because it's out there and I had a copy. So why not? Um, I didn't like it, but I also didn't need it from the get-go because that story had ended. I missed I missed the characters and I, I thought I wanted more, but that's I think the difference between me as a as a, a kid, a teenager, even as a young adult, me now is that I used to because I wanted more, that meant I needed more. I don't feel that way anymore. Um, I'm going to miss the expanse when it's gone, but I'm also certain I will be done with it and I will not want more expanse because I'm good with an end of the story. So um I think it's a bit odd that he's revisiting, but I agree with John and Josh. I think there's a lot that he probably wanted to do with the series that he wasn't able to do. I think CW is an extremely odd choice, and it's possible that the only reason that he's on CW is because that's where he was able to make make the the, the, on, the only way he could make the deals. If you read the book, you would know that he's he's extremely protective of his of his property, and he is a man with a lot of uh, integrity. And so it makes sense to me that. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with him doing it. It's just that I don't feel the need to revisit that universe, those stories. And in my mind, it's kind of like, okay, I don't have a problem with you doing that. I kind of, this is not at all accurate. This is completely projection, just me. And I'll be the first to admit that. Um, but it feels like we get limited time with our artists, JMS included. And so it feels like because he's going to be spending a lot, a lot, a lot of time on New Babylon 5, that again all projection that robs us of other stories he might have shared with us and that's not fair to him because he's a person who's not here for our service right he's not he's not here to serve us but but that was my initial gut reaction that i recognize as being selfish and not really reasonable so um will i watch it when it comes out yeah if it's convenient but um and and uh, but i'm just not excited about it i'm not particularly interested in it that said i'm certain it's going to be good I am. I'm just certain that he's not coming back unless it's something good and strong and new, too. I don't think he's going to come back and just rehash stuff, but um, but remaking it, sort of, quote, remaking an entire series, yeah, it's just, I, I, I'm fine without this. All right, that's a good, those are good, good impressions. Like, we'll, we'll expand upon that. And uh, Joe, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm more in line with what Chris just said. Um, I'm from the generation of, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So I'm a little shocked that this is coming back. I have no, um, um, this is what I'm looking for here. I, I should say I completely have complete faith in JMS to tell this story again the way he sees, what he wants to. I have complete other faith in his, his uh, creative acumen, but um, why? And the bigger why is, why on the CW? I mean, this is a network that caters to 16-year-old teeny bo- TikTok teeny boppers. And, and I just, I don't get it. I mean, yeah, uh, he, he may, be, may, be, may have been given complete control, but um, 
will the uh, the budget be there? Will the uh, will he really have control, or will he have to uh, service the, uh, the quote unquote fans of this network? And if that happens, then I think there could be disaster. Uh, hey, uh, Joe, just to uh, just Josh, I think just wanted to, to mention something before you finish your Josh. Mm-hmm. What, what were you um, What were you going to bring up? Josh. Josh, is it Josh? Sorry, sorry. No, no, he's oh. muted. There oh, we go. <laughs> um, uh, no, I didn't mean to uh, to interrupt. I just wanted okay. to be in the queue for when uh, for when uh, Joe was finished. So, uh, oh, okay, no, 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 no problem. Uh, so please continue. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's, that's about you know that's basically it. I, I, I like Chris. I don't think we need we need this. Uh, I'm sure it will be good though if. From the standpoint of the creator, I'm sure it'll be good, but I, I'm worried that the creator, JMS, may not have as much uh, freedom as he as as, uh, as he thinks, or have the avenues to uh, to put his product forth, to put his story forth, because it's on this network. So, uh, you know, uh, let's, I hope they prove me wrong, but uh, I um, I'm not. Uh, I don't want to say I'm not looking forward to it, but um, I don't really need it. So I'm going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Josh, did you want to follow up on something that, that Joe said before I'll give my impressions and we move into a wider conversation? Oh, uh, well, no, actually, why don't you go ahead? I apologize. No, 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 it's fine. Uh, we've got a lot of us on the podcast, so we're all, we're all figuring it out. Yeah. Um, so um, my impressions are I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing what it is and exciting to see what JMS will do with material he's already um, worked with. Um, you know, Reading Becoming Superman, again, I'll plug it too. Great book. I highly recommend it to anyone listening who hasn't read it and is interested in, in JMS as a creative person reading that book. But having read that book, I, I didn't realize like growing, I've grown up with JMS as storytelling all the way up until now. He, I grew up with him watching He-Man, then watching the real Ghostbusters, then watching Babylon 5, and then reading um, Spider-Man, Rising Stars, Midnight Nation, Thor, um, and then, so I and reading his Superman run. So I've been reading JMS's work up until like end of biography. James, are you still there? Did we lose James? I think we might have lost James. He was getting yeah. kind of—I don't know about you guys—it was getting a little robotic. And yes, and yeah, that's right. I thought it was my headphones, but it was yeah. Okay, um, I know we're on the clock, so James will be back. I'm sure yeah. I'm going to shoot him a text, but in the meantime. Um, let's go ahead and keep recording some of this. So really quickly, Josh, I, I wanted to return to sort of where where you're at because you had your hand up. And I, it sounds like there are almost, um, I don't want to say two sides to this because everybody here loves Babylon, Babylon 5, but we sort of have our own things we're looking forward to or not. So so Josh, let's, Josh and John sort of, I want to circle back to you guys and see if there's a sort of rebuttal, a kind of way you wanted to follow up with that. But starting with Josh, please. No, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, first off, I just want to say I am completely sympathetic to what uh, both you, Chris, and you, Joe, are saying. Um, you know, I think that's sort of one of the um, of other things that I I was hinting at was this idea that oh, you know I don't need another Babylon Five. I have the original. I love the original, and um, uh, you know, as John was mentioning, you know. Um, the uh, the revolutionary thing about Babylon Five, certainly for American television, was that it was a a novel for television with a beginning, middle, and an end. You know, we got the end. So so. Um, uh, but that said, uh, you know, uh, both uh, uh, 
you, Chris, and Joe have uh, been mentioning, you know, the CW and um, mm. why is uh, JMS uh, returning uh, to this uh, 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 this property and why specifically on uh, the CW? From what I understand, um, and I should mention as an aside uh, that I'm a patron of um, uh, JMS's uh, Patreon, so he um, has been uh, uh, talking about uh, this as frankly as he's he's able uh, to uh, you know with a project that's in uh, that's in active development. But from what I understand, uh, the CW approached him, and um, I don't think that he was really uh, you know um, I don't think it was a situation of he he had an idea for a reboot of B five and he went out uh, uh, to try to shop it around and sell it. I think that uh, you know Warner Brothers obviously uh, they own the rights uh, to Babylon Five, and um, and earlier uh, this year they uh, released the HD remasters on HBO Max, mm -hmm. and I think they were impressed with how well it performed. And from what JMS has said, um, uh, uh, there are a lot of huge uh b5 fans at the cw so they approached him uh, with this idea uh you know would you be interested in 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 rebooting it for uh for tv and uh, uh you know he basically um he said yes of uh, with certain stipulations and uh you know one of uh, uh the things that um he said which i find you know very fascinating is this idea that he wants to uh be narratively very ex uh very experimental and kind of explore some um modes of of storytelling on on television the same way that the original sh show did and uh, you know he just wanted uh, to make sure that you know they were on the same page you know that if he were to revisit uh, the show i mean number one it's a beloved show uh, that has a lot of fans and that you know he he really he really needs it uh to uh, to be what he wants it to be and they said yeah uh, you know uh, they understood that uh, this was a unique situation and uh you know they from what he said they seemed to understand um that the original uh, you know what what made it uh unique and why it was a special thing and that they seem completely supportive of what he has in store. So, um, yeah. So, so the answer why the CW? It's because uh, 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 the CW uh, uh, came to him, and so we'll see. Interesting. Um, I was thinking about that, Josh, uh, last night. That because I did read that. You're right. I read that they they came to him, and could this be the CW trying to change their image? I mean. Uh, they've already hit a home run with Superman and Lois. Uh, it's a more adult show, a show that has uh, you know deeper, better fleshed out characters than say the Flash, Supergirl, Batwoman, DC Legends. Um, so it's possible maybe they're hopefully they're trying to change their image and go for a, an older audience, and maybe that's why they they're thinking about this. But even so, I'm you know I'm still going to uh, have reservations about it until I see it. No, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I think, you know, look, I mean, uh, the elephant in the room here is that um, this is the nature of of 
um, a popular media right now and uh, uh, TV and, and film. It's all about IP. It's all about, you know, name recognition. And it's all about, you know, having a built-in uh, uh, fan base. I read on Twitter yesterday or the day before, somebody asked him, you know, why not uh, 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 just do like, a sequel series like, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation to the original Star Trek. And uh, um, uh, JMS said something uh, to the effect of, well, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, Babylon 5 uh, doesn't have the uh, the cultural presence that the original Star Trek had. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like, you know, uh, uh, reading between the lines, it seems like, you know, this was the only way that it would happen. Um, you know, this, I mean, I mean, this is what, I mean, this is sort of the name of the game. Uh, like we were, uh, uh, discussing off air about, about Star Wars, you know, the, the nature of, you know, franchise, uh, uh, TV and, and media is that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a commercial enterprise. And I think, you know, that is the only reason that this is happening. So if you can accept that, then, uh, you know, you can sort of set that aside and enjoy it for whatever it's, it's going to be, but that's sort of the buy-in, right? Uh, you have to be on board with the idea that, uh, because of the nature of the business, um, uh, it's not a question of, do we need more? It's you will, uh, uh, be getting more. We will be getting more, more will be made. So with that as sort of the buy-in, um, you know, what, what is, what will the quality of the more, uh, turn out to be? I think that's, yeah. And I, sorry, I want to not to interrupt, but really quickly. So I, I appreciate what you're saying, Josh, and it sort of lines up, I think, you know, the, 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 what you're both saying, frankly, lines up with sort of, again, don't want to say two sides to the the argument, but almost two sides of the coin kind of. Anyway, the reason I I wanted to cut in here, though, is because there's a lot of talk about CW and, and, um, and JMS's integrity and how he is protective of his of his uh, property, but also um, um, of his reputation and the story that he's trying to tell. And so to that end, um, John, I think you can speak a little bit more on that because it seems like it's really sort of, um, I don't want to say integral, but it's one of those, one of those really main points that's going to, I think, be discussed a lot moving forward is, okay, why the CW and why now? So uh, John, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those thoughts, those thoughts you've got. You're still on mute, John. Yeah, John, you can see me on mute. There we go. <laughs> I was thinking that, you know, we, we almost need to look backwards before before looking forwards with this because JMS has an interesting history. Um uh and it's and it's very checkered. And you know, he he writes about it himself and we've experienced it. He went on from Babylon Five had unexpected production issues to, you know, Jeremiah onwards all the way to Sense Eight, which didn't originally get its ending and then did, uh, but certainly didn't get its full season run. Uh, and then when you look at Crusade right after Babylon 5, there were a series of interactions he had with studios that really, for lack of a better term, screwed him over at various points. Um, and that's that that's a fairly common experience that he's had. So I'm not sure whether this is going to mean he's a little more uh, um, world-weary and experienced for that, uh, or whether you know we still have to be on the lookout. Because as far as I know, CW doesn't have some you know grand, amazing management that... 
uh, uh, stands out in the industry as really backing their artists and backing uh, uh, great visions. So there's so skepticism is natural in this case. Um, he's protective of his image, but I think that goes insofar as he would be willing to walk away at any point where he felt that that uh, um, uh, vision of his was being uh, damaged or sullied in any way. Uh, so that's that's sort of the, the, the timeline we don't want to see happen is a Babylon Hive reboot that doesn't go well because of studio interference, and then he just walks away and shuts it down. That's sort of the worst case scenario, um, and not one that we should discount entirely. Um, but given that the CW approached him, he's much older and experienced now, um, I, I think there's a little room for, for cautious optimism in terms of the production side of this. Um, it really does seem that the CW is trying to attempt at different things because Let's face it, the streaming market is changing so much right now uh, and it's consolidating into the big players and everybody's scrambling to get uh, something, either either particular intellectual properties or just an overall idea of what they are uh, to establish that. I think C uh, the CW may be you know, trying something different. Uh, we just may not know what it is yet. Um, but as for actually doing a new show with, with a new network, if you have your own... Uh, you know, carte blanche intellectually. That's that's the brilliance of Babylon Five in the first place. Is that he actually snuck it in. He he didn't tell the executives what he was planning on doing. Uh, he basically sold it to the studio as a you know Star Trek on a station, serialized stories, um, and almost almost in a very stealthy way wove in that novel like story arc that took place over five seasons. Um, uh, and, and, and execs were none the wiser until it was already too late. And that kind of savvy is something you don't see with people um, every day. And I wonder if he's now playing a, a sort of three-dimensional chess when producing shows that we're not even you know aware of. I wouldn't put it past him. So uh, as, that's why I think at the very least, we're gonna get something interesting, especially if as uh, Josh was saying, he's trying new types of storytelling narratives we may get things that we weren't uh, expecting or anticipating, and they may they may be great, they may not be, and that's what I'm sort of excited for because a lot of thing a lot of new things fall flat the first time, but just like the way Babylon Five set a new possibility for storytelling on television, um, you know we may be in the run for something like that again. Uh, Cosine, I love everything you just said. Yeah, and uh, I would just uh, I would say just going JMS is, you know, um, what what JMS is going on in the past. I mean, you know, he walked away from Thor when he didn't want Thor going into the rest of the siege plotline that Marvel wanted. So, I think um, if he's if he's not, you know, if he if if somebody's not playing ball with JMS, he does have the history of walking away. But hopefully, entering into this new. Um, you know, paradigm with CW and the new show, he's like, like John said, he's a little bit more wary and he kind of knows the business and he's kind of thought all this stuff ahead. But it is interesting what you said earlier, Joe, about, um, you know, Lois and Clark or not Lois and Clark, but Superman <laughs> and Lois went to, um, you know, HBO Max and, um, and Babylon 5 is currently playing on HBO Max. So I wonder mm -hmm. if um, things were to go wrong or JMS thought the CW wasn't going the right way. It's something it can move over there or maybe that's even something that's built into the current because where is it going to air once the first season is done? Is exactly. it going? Is it going to go to the CW app? Is it going to go to HBO Max? Um, so I, I, hopefully he's got some options laid out in his back pocket in case things don't go the way he wants with the network. 
I have to believe that the only reason he's agreed to to go ahead with this is because he he has gotten you know a sense, if not if not you know real assurances um, that they're going to let him do what he wants to do. I I really have to believe that. Um, now, you know it is it is interesting um, that it's on the CW and not you know, direct to streaming as an HBO Max original, though um, that probably has something to do with the fact that uh, uh, the CW approached him. Um, so, I mean, uh, the CW wanted it, uh, which, you know, and this has just occurred to me after, you know, listening uh, to what you said, Joe, about, you know, are they trying to revamp their um uh, yeah, revamp their image. Uh, you know, uh, that hadn't occurred to me until you mentioned it. But the fact that they sought him out and they want something specifically for their for their air and not, uh, you know, HBO Max. Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm starting to wonder if maybe you aren't onto something. Um, I know that the CW has that show uh, Pandora, um, which full disclosure, I haven't uh, watched a lot of um though I listened to a Star Trek podcast uh, that the uh, creator hosts. So I, I sort of know a lot about it through osmosis. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Pandora is um, kind of a, a space opera show. Um, it's, it is um, uh, pitched a little bit younger. The, uh, the leads were sort of, um, they had just graduated the academy, um, and were sort of off on their other uh, first adventures. So they were youthful in the first season. Um, uh, Pandora was just renewed for a third year, uh, uh, which, uh, you know, suggests to me that they think that, you know, maybe, um, there is a future in space operas on their network. Um, so maybe this kind of dovetails with that. And maybe, you know, uh, this is sort of potentially a more mature version of, of the success that they have had with um, the younger stewing Pandora. Um, the other interesting thing is that, um, I'll, I'll, once again, I read on Twitter, um, somebody tweeted at JMS uh, similar concerns about you know, like a Sheridan going to be, you know, like a teenager or whatever, or like or all this. <laughs> and, um, you know, JMS said something uh, uh, to the effect of, you know, we're talking about a military commander. Uh, you know, logic says that that he will not. Um, uh, oh, we're not oh, we're not talking about uh, teenagers here. Um, so, you know, if, once again, if you read the tea leaves of that, it makes it sound like um, there isn't a mandate for, you know, youthfulness. Oh, but then again, uh, of a full caveat, have no actual idea. Um, uh, but yeah, so that uh, you might be onto something there. Well, remember, this is the network that I don't know, maybe ten years ago, maybe even more than that, uh, tried to give us a Lone Ranger and Tonto as teenagers, and that didn't that didn't last more than probably even half a season. So that's I'm why glad, I'm glad I have no memory of that. Yes, yeah, so I watched the first episode and I, I said, that's it. But, you know, because I loved the Lone Ranger growing up as I did in the 60s. It was one of my heroes. But, um, 
you know, um, again, yeah, this maybe they are maybe they are trying to change their image. And, and let's face it, if, if they if if they even ran this the original B five on, on on the CW now, it'd be miles ahead of anything else that they've ever had on this network. So, um, uh, you know, I'll I'll give it a chance. Uh, I did say I didn't I didn't need uh, this this reboot, but uh, I have complete faith in JMS. But the, the uh, I wish it was on HBO Max. And as James said, maybe uh, he's got a plan, a plan B. Maybe that's where we'll wind up. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, no. Hopefully, he'll, he'll, he definitely has a, has a plan. Um, Chris, I think uh, I saw you wanted to interject something also. Sure. No, just that. Um, you know, I think I think you know we've all. I'm really, really glad to hear this this conversation unfolding the way that it is because as as an artist, it's super important to me to be like, yes, we're voicing and sharing our opinions. At the end of the day, the man is an artist, and his art is you know it's not meant to serve us and and uh, so I'm, I'm glad we're all on the same page of no 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 he should do what he wants to do and we'll respect that even if we have our concerns about it you know that's that's our problem not his and so i'm really glad to hear that too and i would expect no less from everybody on this on this podcast but i'm just saying i'm i'm glad to hear that this is not like laying down ultimatums for an artist like we've yeah. seen happen so many times as frustrated as i may have in the past been with george R. R. martin before i quit um game of thrones um reading specifically i never really watched the show um, but he, you know, if he doesn't finish the story, he doesn't finish the story and that's, you know, his prerogative is to work on what he wants to work on. But all of that aside, um, you know, I, the one thing I will be very curious to see is, you know, I've, I've recently in preparation for this conversation, but also in the wake of, of reading Becoming Superman, um, I started rewatching Babylon 5. It's been a shtick for me lately because I'm also rewatching The Expanse. So what the hell I'm all in. Um, but you know, it's it's what I'll be curious to see is who are they going to cast? I want to know who they're going to cast, because some of that acting was so, so rough. And um, and there's some of it I felt like I knew when I was younger. I appreciate when I was younger. But since working as a professional actor, since running my own theater company, it's it uh, literally there have been and it's not often. But every now and then I will stop an episode because I'm just I'm cringing too hard. I'm just like, I, I, I just need a moment away. I'm really desperately uncomfortable. And that sounds really dramatic, I know. But just just from my perspective, I'm sitting there going like, I, I can't. I need a break. I, I need something to, to wash this down or something. I don't know. I need a break. Um, just out of curiosity, uh, would you be willing to name names? Who, who exactly was so... Uh, uh, gave such a cringeworthy performance that you had to take a break from it. I'm just curious. <laughs> so there are there are there were a couple. Um, there are times when, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember actor names. Um, but the biggest one was probably, and this is also sort of covered. Um, this is also covered in in becoming Superman. We find out about Michael O'Hare and his and his personal struggles. Um, and I'm sure that that his personal struggles with his mental health. Um, impacted his his acting, um, but it it drove me up a wall sometimes. It just felt very performative. That's interesting. And and, um, and it's I, again I don't and, and this is where sometimes there's overlap because some of the writing I felt was a little bit uh, cringy too. It was a little also too performative. Like yeah okay like that's enough small talk. I, I get we're we're relationship building, but it doesn't feel like relationship building. It feels like you are trying to build relationships here. And there is a fine line as a writer. And I've been, and as a writer, I'm way less experienced. I'm far more guilty of the former than the latter of, of 
you know, looking like I'm trying to build relationships versus actually building relationships through dialogue. But um, Michael O'Hare was a big one. There are times when um, um, the actor who plays Garibaldi. Uh, uh, Jerry O'Doyle. Thank you, Jerry. uh, 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 Jerry Doyle. Jerry Doyle. Thank you. Yeah, there are times where I just... The the JMS hands him a JMS hands him a monologue, hmm. and I'm like, wow, he's just acting the hell out of that monologue, and it and so it's things like that that really um and oh 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 hell the the actor who plays the doctor, uh, Richard Biggs, Richard Biggs, really really like him in general, really enjoy him in general, but there's almost and this is where again I don't know if it's it's the direction that he received to act more like the way his father acts, so we can see that that family resemblance or what, but there are times where I'm just like, Whoa, that's, that's some fire you're spitting. That doesn't really seem to fit the, the situation. Like it's, it's, it doesn't really become the, the, the angry black man with the something to prove trope. I don't think it becomes that. Um, but there is, there's just a lot of, a lot of anger that he's spitting there sometimes that I'm just like, okay, I don't think we needed it to go that far. Um, so rarely did I cringe for him. It was more the other two that I would that I would cringe for. And 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 again, it was it was not frequently. It's not like ah, all right, take another breath. We're going under, Chris. We're gonna watch another seven minutes of this episode. It wasn't it wasn't that bad, but there were definitely those moments there where um I just I just I sort of had to back away from it. So um I, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the acting. I would like to see who they who they bring in. And then the writing too, some of the dialogue again felt a little bit like it was forcing relationship building or being indicative of relationship building rather than being actually relationship building. Um, and so those were moments that I, that are admittedly very, very softened by, in my opinion, the, the, the nicer moments of connection. Like um, I recently rewatched the, you know, sort of the beginning of Delenn and, and Sheridan's relationship. And while some of it, like they're attempting to connect over culture felt sort of forced and like odd couple esque. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That, that felt a little, um, excuse me, a little, a little heavy handed, both in terms of acting and writing. Um, then there are other moments where, you know, Delenn puts her hand on, on Sheridan's hand and they both sort of look down, but instead of like pulling away quickly at, or like clearing their throats in a very sort of stereotypical, um, you know, meet cute sort of way, uh, they connect and they stay connected. And even after they do break contact, that connection that they made is still there in a very nice, soft, in my opinion, understated way. So I think there was a lot of good stuff happening, but, um, but those are probably for me, the things in which I am most interested in is, okay, how do you cast this? What, what kind of writing are we seeing? I want to see what that dialogue looks like. So um, that's me. Yeah, no, that's all. Those are all good points, uh, Chris. And I, I definitely agree with your sentiment about like, you know, George Lucas made one, two and three, but it is his creation and he has a right to make one, two and three. <laughs> he has the right to make the prequels. So, <laughs> right, um, right. We don't need to, we don't need to send him to the Hague. Right. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I agree <laughs> with one, two and three and that's for a later conversation, but, uh, but he's a right to, and so JMS is, but John, I know you have some, um, some thoughts on, on what we just discussed. Yeah, it's just, it's so funny because the warning I give to people I recommend the show to is, uh, uh, without trying to detract from it, I say, you know, some of the acting is a little rough around the edges, particularly in that first season. Um, and uh, the sets definitely are. 
But again, when you, when you get that insight into the production history, we didn't know when we were watching the show just how wet behind the ears JMS was. Yes, uh, yes. You know, talk, you know, to say he was thrown into the deep end of the pool is uh, a woefully inadequate as a metaphor. Um, and the fact that he was able to pull off what he did is actually a miracle. Uh, but you could, but I do get that sense that it's almost like he's going almost over the top Shakespearean at, at certain times with, with those monologues, which I love. And especially at the time when we were watching that show in our lives, when you're adolescent, you sort of eat that stuff up because yeah. it's dramatic. Mm-hmm. It's great. As you get older, you can appreciate it, but you also see it as a little bit, you know, just overdone and, and not, it doesn't quite work right. The beats are off. Um, that's something that I think is really, you know, gets, uh, you know, experience really, you know, polishes the edges off of that. So I don't think we're going to see those same issues, uh, because I certainly didn't see it in Sense8. I haven't seen it in his later work as much. And the monologues he gives fit even better. He uses what I would sort of call it the Jakar technique. It's really called for. It's literally meant to be a moment when somebody is monologuing. Uh, so you get to go full out with that and get a full experience from it rather than it being sort of forced into a random moment. What I really wanted to uh, say when I was thinking about this, when uh, even Chris is mentioning, you know, the artist, what they owe us and what they don't, um, I've, I've begrudgingly come to the view that no artists don't owe us anything. Uh, George R. R. Martin doesn't as much as I would love him to finish the books. Um, but the greatness of what we get to experience is more often because the artist got to do something that they saw that they envisioned that they were able to manifest um and then after the fact the rest of us get to appreciate it uh when, when we're part of the committee designing it and creating it as sort of you know fan service it it definitely doesn't be you know you're, you're not going to get that new amazing experience um that you might otherwise get but that also that also brings up something about jms and his own voice babylon 5 was very topical at the time in the 90s I don't want to quite call it political, uh, though maybe lowercase p political in, in, in a sense. It was societal and structural commentary about power, about uh, human nature and the dangers we face uh, in our own selves, you know, as to giving into totalitarian tendencies with President Clark and the way that Earth goes completely off the rails while Sheridan and the station are the only ones representing the best of humanity until they, you know, defeat the shadows and have to go back and save earth. That's a message that when you bring it forward 20, 30 years later, resonates even more. And I think JMS is going to have a lot more to say. Uh, and, you know, following him both on Twitter and on other social media, um, it's interesting to watch his own evolution in that, in that he's not looking to become a political pundit and, and, and obsess over a particular issue, even though he has very strong opinions that he does um, uh, uh, communicate on those issues. But I think based on where sort of humanity is right now, it gives them a whole new area to explore. Um, and that's something that is really kind of cool. It's something that, uh, you know, Star Trek picks us up after humanity has gotten its, you know, gotten its stuff together. That's really where, where Star Trek is at. And JMS always said, yeah, I'm not so sure we, if we get there, that that's the story I want to tell. And... That's that's what I would expect from the new Babylon Five would be, oh, this is this is 2021 or when it comes out in the next couple of years. Like, where are we at, and what are the stories that come out of that, and how do human beings really develop uh, and deal with their own darker natures and you know the difficult decisions they have ahead? So I think that just just the 
the amount of stories he's going to have to tell on that are amazing if he wants to take that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with you, John. He's got he's got a lot of um, I'm sure new opinions and thought processes, given what the world currently is now, to like sort of re rediscover, reopen, and reinterject or just interject for the first time into the story of Babylon Five. Uh, so, and then I'm sure his way of way of speaking about it and having his character speak about it has has changed a lot. Um, Joe, did you want to did you want to add something to what John said? Well, I'm going to go, go back a little bit further when we were talking about um, the actors. Um, yeah, there were some cringeworthy moments, as Chris said, in that first season. Um, uh, they have some, sometimes they, they seem to be stiff and uh, or were going overboard, chewing the scenery, so to speak. But um, uh, the CW has a penchant for recycling their actors. I mean, some are good, like Cress Williams who just unfortunately, his show, Black Lightning, which I thought was one of the better shows on the CW, was canceled. But, um, you know, I'm worried about who uh, who might be in the stable of actors that they, they, JMS has to choose from. I'm, I'm hoping that he has uh, complete reign over that. Um, if you want to see some, and you talk about, Chris, you talk about uh, having to stop and get through an episode. I'm trying to finish up the current season, the final season of Supergirl, and it takes two to three days to watch one episode because the acting is so terrible. You cannot imagine how bad the acting on this show is. Even Melissa Benoist, who started out very well, has now fallen into the trap of overacting, underacting. Just, I mean, it's it's god awful the acting on that show. So, uh, you know, that's why when I heard this JMS and Babylon Five reboot CW. <laughs> My head exploded because I, I know from what I, I've been with the CW since Arrow. The first few seasons were great, but um, it, it has a penchant for just putting people on the screen that, that, that are not well versed their craft. And, uh, well, uh, well, this might be a good, good portion for, for us to, we kind of already done it, but to go into what we hope from the series and maybe we've already gone into what we don't hope from the series and, and speaking of like topics like do, do we do we want the character of jakar to come back and would we want somebody recast as jakar after what i think we lost james, james again, again. <laughs> to oh, be continued he left us on a cliffhanger i really wanted to hear what he was going to say <laughs> what do you think he's going with that <laughs> he knows something that he's not supposed to share right yeah, yeah right. This... <laughs> you are not ready or whatever the Vorlons say when they, uh, yeah. they come in and they destroy Deathlock. There he goes. He just yeah. left. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to come right back. Yeah, he'll be right back. Uh, you know, it's super interesting to me. Um, for me, um, uh, Babylon 5, I think, was really, is, is very much a show of the 90s. Yes. Um, in a lot of ways. Oh, definitely. And... Mm -hmm. I am wondering, you know, it seems like JMS um, um, has uh, the right uh, the right approach of this, um, in that you know I really feel like you need to make some some fundamental um, changes in how you approach uh, the story uh, for it to. Um, uh, resonate in the 2020s. Um, it seems like um, he um, he's of the same mind, just uh, based on the things that he said about it. Sure. Um, 
Oh, uh, you know, so, but that is, uh, that is sort of, if I really want to get into it, uh, um, it, I like how you say that, like you don't really want to get into yeah, it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because every indication well, you know, is you would very much like to get into it. <laughs> it's a commitment. It's a commitment. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Right. Yeah, right. They, John's well, right. <laughs> so, you know, there is, um, Oh, there is a really interesting uh, train of thought that I was thinking about was that like the original Babylon 5, uh, a part of why it was so effective um, for a lot of people, for me certainly, uh, was the fact that it really existed as a reaction to Star Trek. So, um, uh, you know, essentially, um, you know, the reason uh, that I started watching it when I was... Uh, 10 years old was because it seemed like another show like Star Trek. And I really enjoyed Star Trek and uh, kind of like what you were saying, John, I think he was consciously playing into that idea that, you know, you think, you know, how a show like this works uh, because then that gives him the opportunity uh, to sort of um, knock the table over and really do some, surprising things uh because I mean, josh do you remember our conversations as we were beginning to piece that together and going wait yes what's happening here we think there's something going on and we were just beginning to like lose it and and it's i know i yes i remember very well i remember when um you know so so obviously in small ways uh, you know just on um at top of mind is the episode uh, "Believers" from the first season, uh, which is not a fantastic episode, but it, it is really an early example of um, of of doing an episode that you might see on Star Trek, but the ending of it is something Star Trek would never do. Uh, um, all the way through, you know, later on when. Uh, Spoiler alert, probably not needed at this point, but um, um, when uh, Babylon 5 secedes from the Earth Alliance, you know, you um, we were trained from years of watching Star Trek to see, you know, Starfleet and the Federation as a, a, the ultimate arbiter of morality. And so when um, we approach Babylon 5 in the same way, uh, to all of a sudden say, well, wait a minute, um, that's not how this always works. Sometimes you as an individual need to, uh, you know, not follow orders and, um, and, and go out on your own because you, uh, you see, um, uh, some injustices are happening and, uh, you know, like what, uh, the authorities say is not always, uh, the right thing, and uh, you shouldn't always uh, do what they uh, what they tell you to do. Like the idea that you would that the right thing was not what the the um, that uh, uh, the good guys weren't always the good guys, and you had to sort of uh, you know do what's right in the face of a universe that was. Uh, 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 telling you uh, to do the exact opposite and fall in line, I think was a huge um, sort of a... Uh... I think now we lost Josh. No. Oh. <laughs> so, 
Sorry, I didn't hear you for a second. I was like, oh, now it's stretching out. No, I mean, the idea that, that uh, you know, you would um, go against the authority that you had created and set up as, uh, you know, the good guys uh, was, yeah. uh, you know, something that, that, you know, you would never see on on Star Trek. The whole idea that they would um, uh, uh, turn their whole world upside down. And then all of a sudden it's, okay, well, now I'm not sure what the show is about. Sure. It's all of a sudden something completely other than what I went into expecting it was. Well, and I think this is where, you know, it's it, it goes back to what John said, because I think we all sort of have the same disclaimer, which is, yeah, there there are going to be moments that that you know the acting is rough, the the set. You're you're absolutely right, John. The the, the sets that they're working on are can be rough. Um, but it's but hey, watch this thing. No, no, no. There are going to be the, the complaints that you might have, or complaints that a lot of people have. Trust oh, me, I keep watching lost. the thing. And I, sorry, we lost you for a second there. Oh, mm-hmm. weird. Okay, yeah. So it's it it is an internet thing today. Sunspot activity. Yeah. Um. <laughs> You know, it, it, but it's worth watching despite its flaws. And I think, again, that's a testament to JMS and the crew that, that put B5 together is that, you know, because I feel the same way looking back now. I look back on some of the Farscape stuff and go, ooh, ooh that's rough. Rougher than I thought it was uh, when I first watched it. Um, but it's still a story worth consuming, worth watching, because um, because there is no perfect story out there. Uh, there are some that, in my mind, come come closer than others. Um, but but rarely are they also stories that that cover this span of time, right? Like in my mind, Coco is nearly a perfect story. That's great. It's one movie. Um, I still adore it, but it's not spread out over five seasons. So so it's a higher standard to hold hold somebody to an artist to. And so I think that again, that's the that is a testament to um, just how incredibly talented JMS is that he created this thing that we say yes, it's got flaws. But it is still worth watching. We know there's a lot out there that you can watch. Trust me, stick with this one. You will be grateful that you did. And and you know that's that's not even mentioning the the history that JMS created because um, you know he's the first one to tackle something like this. You know we're going to tell a story. It's going to be over the course of five years. Uh, you know that 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 is historic. That's 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 making history, and that's that's really really cool and like you you were saying josh you know this idea of uh and john you were you were both of you were trying to work out like oh my god what are they what are they doing and you're starting to piece together that yeah they're gonna they're going to do something that's never been never been done before um because we expect that you know the the like much like the federation these are the good guys and oh no no they're very much not the good guys and they're not going to come around on this either it's not just one person that's that's making all this making all this rot um, so there's a lot of, you know, it's worth looking in historical context, too. And I think that the more history we have of television, um, the harder it can be to recognize the context of what came what came before and what informed. Oh, you know, right, when I was, um, right when he was about to bring it home. I know. Sorry? Oh, there he is. <laughs> uh, uh, when I was uh, no, we lost you again. <laughs> um, when I was director of drama over at SUNY Alfred for a couple of years, um, we were talking about comedy. And it was, you know, I had kids that were all trying to be funny and I was trying to explain, you know, the straight man and how how the straight man fits into um, the, the workings and trappings of comedy. And so I showed them who's on first oh, and there were things they didn't understand, things they didn't appreciate. And I I had trouble articulating it because I grew up on Abner and Costello. Mm-hmm. So I 
had appreciated it. And even though it's not like I go back and watch a lot of their, their stuff now, I can appreciate their place in comedic history. So it's much the same way that the further we get away from the original, again, it is weird to say it, but the further we get away from the original Babylon 5, um, you know, the easier it is to think the television was always this way, that it was always serialized in the way that it is today, where it's like, you really need to know what happened uh, you know, just two episodes ago. No, 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 no. This thing they're doing in the fourth season, it harkens all the way back to the first season. Um, it's easy to think that's the um, television. I think we lost him again. Season, well, that wasn't the case. Oh, you're always you're dropping you come back there. right when I, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, uh, James, I see you have something to Yes. Um, well, I was just going to say, like, um, you know, Chris Chris gave a good good point there with with Chris's um, saying like it's something we've never seen before, and we've kind of already touched on it and fits and spurts between all of us um, today. But it, it might be with the time that we have for the podcast to talk a little bit about how we we got into Babylon Five and were exposed to it. Um, because like when I when I did see it, you know, John's recommendation was for me to watch it, and I I know I resisted in the beginning, John, for for a while. It wasn't until Babylon Five made its way to the TV, TBS that I started watching, or TNT, rather, TNT, I think, was the network that it, that yes, it launched. Yeah, um, and um, it was the first time I had seen serialized storytelling like that in any TV show I was, like, watching regularly. So it was a big revelation for me, not, not in just terms of TV could be, but what writing and creativity could be, because um, the only other time I was really seeing that regularly was when comic book storylines, and, and even back then, um, you know, I, I was still trying to understand the continuity of some of the characters and histories I'm reading. So I, I think of, uh, like, I think Josh and John are the first people in this, in this room who've really gotten to B5. So, so John, what, why did you land on B5 when you, well, sim- similar to Josh, it was, it was a show that was sci-fi oriented, but I didn't, I didn't expect it. I didn't know it was happening. The first time I saw it was the actual, uh, pilot before the first season aired. And, and that was a good eight months, nine months before uh, the first season aired. I was, um, I was walking my neighbor's dogs. Uh, there were two uh, Shih Tzus that I took care of regularly. And um, uh, the neighbor would go out of town or he would call me sort of on the fly uh, when he was going to be home late from work, uh, go walk the dogs. And he sort of said he would be there for a while. And this is, to, you know, to a 13-year-old. He's like, so, you know, make yourself at home there. I have a big screen TV. And it's 1992, three-ish. And, you know, big screen TVs were different back then, but it was still, like, mm-hmm. awe-inspiring to see the setup that this guy had. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd turn on that TV while the dogs were eating, while I was cleaning up, you know, and doing all the things that I needed to do for them. And I just happened to come upon Babylon 5. And the weird thing is the show struck me in that moment because I was watching it alone. Uh, and the way the, the house done had an aesthetic that was very 90s, which weirdly fit in with a show. So it just sort of all clicked as this is something kind of cool and interesting to watch. I want to see where this where this goes. And then that was it. The pilot was over. Um, I didn't know when it was going to come back. And then when I saw the news that the show had been picked up and that it was going to be coming on that fall, I was completely sold on it because something about the aesthetic, that music, that very, uh, was it Christopher Frank? Um, yes, you know, it's Christopher Frank, yeah. That, uh, that, that synthesized uh, uh, sensation, it, it, it was something that I hadn't really uh, heard in a good way in a show. There's plenty of bad synthesized music from the 80s um, when it comes to TV that just, you know, got me into it. So I started watching the show. Season one was great. I was talking to Josh about it a whole lot in season one. And then yeah. Mint Condition played a huge role in it because it was Mr. Gross who was obsessed with the show. He was such 
a mm-hmm. fan of that show, and I had no idea until he overheard a conversation, I think, between Josh and I. Um, and he was just like, wait, we have to talk about this. So part of my sort of weekly sojourn to Mint Condition involved these long, amazing discussions in the shows. It was great. Uh, and there we were at the end of season two, and I missed the season two finale. And this is in a time when you couldn't go back in time. If you didn't record it on VHS on your own, you couldn't just wait for it to, you know, restream, you know, just click the stream again or, or, or you know, replay next week. Nope. That I think we collectively week. refer to those as the dark days, John. The, the dark, dark days. days. <laughs> yes. And, and, and it was gone. So there was this big season two cliffhanger. With, with with Kosh and the Vorlons and Sheridan, and I had no idea what happened. And there, Mr. Groves is saying, "You don't know what happened," and, and and he didn't know whether to tell me and not to tell me. I remember that being sort of this hilarious moment. But there was a lot of, you know, those cool interactions of people relating about the show and how mind-boggling they found it, uh, storytelling-wise, because again, it's something that we hadn't experienced on television yet. Um, so I got to I got to get a lot of that really uh, uh, fun. Uh, what I call sort of like show reaffirmation at Mint Condition, because there's a big component to watching a TV show that's very social when you get to talk to somebody else about it. You know, it's great to watch on your own. You get you get that experience. But once you get to share it with somebody else, that's when the real magic for me kicks in. Other shows um, uh, ha- have had that and some haven't. It's probably why certain <clears throat> George R. R. Martin shows um, uh, had this grand appeal because they were so social. Out of ten people over to watch them, and why it was so devastating towards towards the end there, um, and Babylon Five for me had such a similar experience in that it was a social experience for me. I got to talk to a ton of people about it and experience it through their eyes all at the same time, and that to me is the testament to when a show really is, you know, touching on something uh, because then people really want to talk about it, and that's. That's what I'm. That's what I really hope for this new show is that even if it's something different that we're not comfortable with, oh man, I hope we want to talk about it. I hope we want to just obsess over it, nitpick it, dissect it. That's so much fun for me. Well, I'm sure with like whatever it is, we're going to talk about it. Good. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're hoping we're hoping for good, but we will we will easily pick it apart if it's bad too. I'm sure. Um, but Josh, if you came to it separately than John, or I guess you discovered it differently than John. Um, yeah, I believe so. Um, uh, I think we came to it, I think we each discovered it independently, though, um, John and my history is very much intertwined with, uh, Babylon 5, so, so I don't, I can't say for certain, I do have a very strong memory of, um, of, I was channel surfing on a Sunday, and I, I think I caught a rerun of the original pilot, I do have a very strong memory of uh, watching the first episode uh, of the series proper Midnight on the Firing Line. And I know that I was, I had some anticipation for it. It was kind of appointment viewing for me. So I'm going to say that I probably got wind of it through like magazine coverage. Like I'm sure, uh, you know, one of the um, sci-fi mags uh, that I got for Star Trek coverage was probably also covering uh, B5 and it's probably you know where I knew um, that it uh, was coming as a series uh, because I do have a distinct memory like I said of uh, you know settling in uh, to watch the very first episode 
probably followed by either uh, Time Tracks or Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. I don't recall which it was paired with, but it was a, a part the of that. Continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the uh, the group of those um, uh, primetime entertainment network shows that, that uh, failed experiment uh, that almost um, uh, cut uh, B5 a year short um, in the end when that whole thing collapsed. But yeah, I'm going to say... I was, I came to it. Um, I was not a part of the burgeoning online community that, um, I mean, again, something that we haven't uh, uh, touched on in terms of how far ahead of the curve uh, JMS was. Like he was already, he was engaging with fans online. He was creating, uh, you know, um, A fan community for the show uh, before the show was even on, um, you know, and these days, like that's uh, sort of uh, day rigueur for uh, TV uh, writers and producers. Like, you know, you have to be on Twitter, you have to engage with the fans. And he was doing that before most people knew what the internet even was. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that that um, he's, uh, continued his engagement through through uh, uh, Twitter, and he, I mean, again, like you know, a big thing for me um, in terms of uh, B 5s influence on me and my life and my chosen career was, uh, you know, frankly, reading the JMS speaks section of the Lurker's Guide to Babylon Five, and you know, reading um, uh, the posts that he would write. Um, he would answer fans' questions, and he was really, you know, he was, he created a window, he opened a window into the very opaque world of TV production at a time when there was really no way to learn how a TV show was made outside of, you know, w working in TV and, you know, learning from from mentors and from experience. And he was, I think the first one to really try to, um, uh, create a, a window in to the process. So fans would understand why things happened the way they happened and, you know, what the challenges were and what the process was for things to go from, you know, concept to a, a finished product on your screen. And, you know, that uh, for me was as, you know, kind of impactful and entrancing as the story of the actual show itself, I would venture to say. No, that's definitely, I mean, JMS, you know, his regular communication at that time was, was probably, you know, amazing to have interactions with your show's creator in real time, um, since that was not a thing, barely a thing then. And, and only a few people, I think, like one of like Kevin Smith is the only other person I think come to mind doing the same thing at that time, considering what technology was. But um, now, Chris, when how did you come to Babylon Five? Well, that's super easy. That was all of you guys. <laughs> um, um, I the reason I would watch Babylon Five because I didn't I didn't have cable uh, growing up. I didn't have cable until college, actually. So I so I just never had it. So I never had TNT. I, I couldn't watch it on my own. Um, but yeah, it was it was because all of you were watching it. So sometimes you'd get together. I remember um, there was a big gathering for I think it was the the Rangers movie. Oh, uh, 
sorry, yeah, I love the disappointment <laughs> and the weight that I care about that. Oh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was mostly listening to you guys talking about it. And then it was sometime after college that I was like, ah, you know, I should finally I should finally get through this. Um, but, you know, this is this is more to do with JMS and um, and him, his work as an artist and the impact that he had on the genre than anything else. Because I'll be honest, I, I wasn't interested, interested in Babylon 5. I was more interested in it because all of you were and I wanted to be part of the conversation. It was it was more important to me so that I could be part of the the group. Um, than it was that I, I I was actually interested in it because I think by the time it was really on my radar and and I was maybe you know watching sometimes with y'all um, it was it was it was so far along you know it was so far along that I didn't have a lot of context and at the time I think my interests were just very different you know I thought of I thought of Star Wars as sci-fi um, which it which it wasn't and at the time I even started thinking of Farscape as sci-fi which it isn't. Um, you know, so I was watching space opera and thinking that sci-fi and that was where my interest, you know, that's where my interest lay. So, um, you know, I, I, I think even though I don't, I don't strictly think of B5 as being science fiction, I think it's, it's further along the path than either of those, you know, Farscape or Star Wars. So I really only came to it so that I could be part of the conversation. And since then I am more interested in it as a, this is going to sound this is going to sound crappy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I am more interested in it as a relic than as anything else. And that's not yeah, really well, fair to JMS because, um, you know, because I came to it in a time when the, the things he had pioneered became sort of par for the course. And so um, so it's hard for me to appreciate it the way that you guys appreciate it. Sorry, Josh, I, I cut you off. Oh, oh, no, I was just going to say, I know exactly what you mean. I would reframe it slightly. I would say... Uh, you know, coming to B5 is like a cultural um, artifact. Yeah, there yeah. you go. A cultural touchstone. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. always good to see the, the source source material of what is now the standard for TV television making at this point. Right, um, right. Um, and Joe, how did you come to the B5 universe? Well, you know the answer to that. I, I did come to the party late, but it was through my condition, just like Chris. It started with uh, John Gross and I. Um, probably arguing over uh, B5 versus uh, Deep Space Nine because I was a big fan of and still hot. It's a whole other, it's a whole other, a whole other episode. Oh yeah, but then, but <laughs> yeah, then no James, joke. James uh, started giving me every weekend when I came in every Wednesday when I came in to pick my comics. He would give me two or three uh, uh, videos or arc episodes to watch, and I was immediately hooked. And of course, um, Adrian saw that and she started giving me. Um, uh, cassettes of uh, Buffy, and I was immediately hooked on that too. So, yeah, it was through Mint. And um, John, what you were saying before, how it was a uh, social uh, gathering, a social event to talk about this show, it's, it's very much on point there because up until B5, uh, networks had what they had water cooler shows, which people would talk about the next day at work. And in the 90s, I guess the two biggest water cooler shows were Friends and Seinfeld. Did you see what Joey and Chandler did last night? Did you see what Kramer did last night? And that would last for a few minutes, and you'd laugh, and ha-ha, and you'd walk away. But when you started talking about an episode of B5, it just became this, this, this uh, in-depth conversation, and, and you learn things not only about the show, but about yourself. So um, that's uh, a great legacy and, and, and a, great, uh, uh, a great tribute to, to, to the show. 
So that's why I came to B5. And since then, you, I think you've told me you've watched, you've watched the whole show now, not just the arc. You've watched oh, I've watched, I've watched the entire, I've got the, um, I've got all the DVDs, all five of them, all five seasons. I've gone through them twice. The last time was about two years ago. It's time to, to pull them out again and watch them again. Uh, I'm in the middle of season two on DS9. I've finished Next Gen and I'm, gonna, I'm headed towards Voyager and then Enterprise, which I want to talk about someday because that show gets a lot of flack and it doesn't deserve it. Especially I agree. Yeah, right? I think it's in the queue for a future future yeah. talk. Um, we need to talk about Enterprise someday. I'd like to be a guest on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, call, call your shot now. And Josh, yeah. Josh, yes. I believe you're the guy who's, who, who picked Star Trek The Motion Picture as your favorite yes, Star Trek. I prefer that. Well, I prefer that. one favorite. The, well, was it number one? Uh, it, it wasn't in any particular order. It was okay, in my right. top five. Uh, and I, I would like to mount a defense. Well, I, I, well I, I would like to start that. Well, well, I'll just drop a bomb here. I prefer that movie as Star Trek uh, Parallel Parking in Space because of the beginning of that show going around the ship endlessly, endless. So we got to revisit that someday too. Yes, de to. definitely. Well, we only we have a little bit of time left in here. So before we wrap wrap this episode up, um, is there any like final thoughts or feelings anyone wants to to express about uh, the future of uh, the new series coming to us? Please God, let it be good. <laughs> that's a good one i agree with that so i i hope i hope it's uh we all hope i think it's that's good hopefully surprisingly good for for some of us mm -hmm. um anything else i think that from the production standpoint it's going to be a good show we don't have to worry about that i think the cw is going to put enough money into it um but i think what i would really look forward to or expect from it is um you know this was this this was the the inspiration for Jameis. This is something that you know he, he always he's told the story a few times about how he came to Babylon Five in the first place. It was a revelation in a shower, uh, or that was more of a long term construct that he had. But this is sort of his um, I don't know what the term for it would be, but this this is like his grand work. Mm -hmm. um, and if he's going to revisit it, um, as long as it's not just him being sentimental about something that he did in the past. Um, it could it could be something that's a little bit more uh, attuned to today in, in, in a way that space opera doesn't always get to. I love the fact that everybody's been into the expanse because that, that that's that's been really good. It's touched on a lot of things that are relevant today. Um, but it doesn't quite get uh, to that water cooler level that you say, oh my God, did you see what this touched on? And what I want out of this show is I, I want him to strike some nerves. I want him to make us a little bit uncomfortable um, and bring in a direction where we're going to, we're going to have to talk about it. There's going to be something that, that makes us, you know, both compelling to it, but maybe a little bit uncomfortable because looking back, Babylon 5 was uncomfortable at times watching, as Josh said, watching the, the, the stand for the Federation go down as the moral bad guys. Uh, and that had to be, you know, rescued from their own uh, awful, awful decisions. Um, I, I, I think if he has something up his sleeve, it's going to be, you know, as controversial, but as important. That's what I would want out of the show. Otherwise, it's just sort of more space opera. I would agree with that. And um, so far, I think that all signs point to that's what we will be getting. I think that's certainly what JMS intends uh, to, uh, to give us. I think that's what he has in mind. 
is something along the lines of what uh, you describe. I don't think he is interested in just, uh, you know, retelling the same story with uh, a modern, uh, you know, production values and um, a modern sensibility. I think of the same kind of questions and um, uh, uh, beliefs that that were the animating force of the original story. I think he's interested in revisiting those, uh, but that does not necessarily um, result in the same show. Uh, you know, for example, I'm hoping that um, we don't have any of the same of the same characters. I think that you know, using the uh, uh, the setup. Um, the, 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 the scenario, um, as sort of a jumping off point for a story that touches on similar themes, uh, but that is ultimately something that deviates from the story of the original, uh, B5, I think is, uh, uh what I am looking for. Um, and I think... Uh, what I'm really interested in seeing is what sort of JMS sees as the essentialness, uh, the essential qualities of of uh, Babylon Five that he he carries over, um, you know, versus uh, what are the specific details that that are I don't want to say were were incidental, but uh, you know, were sort of things that grew out of uh, the DNA um, in the '90s that you know may not grow into the same uh, characters or um, uh, storylines. Um, I think that's what I'm really curious uh, uh, to see: how much of what was in the original show will be carried over into this new show. Um, uh, because, you know, when somebody asks you, like, what is Babylon 5 about? Um, I, I'm not really sure what to say beyond it's a space station in the future. And, uh, you know, it's sort of an inflection point in not only human history, but sort of, uh, galactic history. Um, you know, like you say, it's the story of John Sheridan. I think it's a mistake to say that. I don't think that it is the story of John Sheridan. I think that in some ways the show that we got uh, turns out to have a lot uh, to do with John Sheridan. But I think, you know, that character was more the the vessel to uh, deliver a lot of this story. And, you know, the interesting thing is that if uh, 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 you go back and you read the original, the original outline um, that... Uh, JMS wrote for the story of the whole series uh, before it actually was sold and went into production. It's a very different story. Um, and I, uh, you know, as happens when you start uh, uh, to write a story or create a story, you sort of, you set out with your intentions and, you know, the places that you know you want to explore and the things that you you think you will probably get into but 
as it develops and you get into it, you get um, new ideas. You realize that that uh, you know some of the things that you had um, in mind uh, to do uh, may not actually work the way that you intended. And it's sort of it, it, it's a cliche to say, but the story and the characters kind of uh, they take on a life of their own mm -hmm. and. Uh, the story starts to tell you what it is. And I think something very similar um, will happen with this show. I'm, I'm sure that'll be... Uh, we'll see how much DNA is left, but I'm sure as he's writing it now, again, with what we've all said about the current times we live in and what how much influence that has in his new story, it'll it'll definitely change what what was previous, that he will have to create new characters or new stories or new directions in order to to accommodate these new thoughts. Um, Chris, you got a, a final thought? Yeah, um, just that, um, you know, I, I that is one thing that I will say that I think is very promising, besides the fact that JMS is working on this, because if he is, I'm not worried about whether it's good or bad. It'll be good. Um, but the fact that he he said s straight up that um, that we're not going to be seeing the same characters in a lot of ways, because, you know, how do you, how do you replace um, Stephen First as Veer? You don't. How do you replace Mira Furlan as, I don't want to see somebody else as Delenn. I have no, excuse me, no need for that. Um, I don't know how you tell the same story without Jakar. So, you know, at this point, I'm, that's that to me is very promising. Um, I feel about this show the way that I feel about my friends at this point is that I have enough and I'm good. Like, there, <laughs> there are a lot of really amazing people out there, but I'm not really interested in making new friends because I don't have a lot of time for the friends that I have now anyway. And I'd rather keep working on those, building those relationships and starting new ones. So what I hope B5 does, because even if it is um, a great water cooler show, and even if there is a lot to, to, to tease apart, and I'm sure there will be a lot to, to dissect, and I am looking forward to having those conversations, and I'll keep up with it for the sake of the conversation, um, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I have enough stories, I think, uh, that I are on my list that I haven't gotten to yet, and enough, enough in my... So what I hope for B5 is actually not for me, because I don't... I don't care about what it does for me what i hope it does is i hope it has the same um the same kind of awe-inspiring impact on uh new viewers as the old one had on so many others i hope that it it sparks the kind of conversation and the kind of critical thinking and the kind of creativity that the original sparked for so many other people that's what i want to see it do i want it to be you know, we talked, we've talked in the past about how, you know, there is a generation for whom the prequels are their Star Wars. And there will be a generation now for whom the sequels will be their Star Wars. And, and that's not a conversation I'm, I'm looking to get into now. It's just the acknowledgement that different generations own different. We've talked about it with comic books, too. You know, this was my Batman growing up. This was your Batman growing up. I want their beef, this generation's B5 to be to them what our generation's B5 was to us. I think that's, that's a great sentiment. Uh, John? Yeah, I, I, I want to I share that sentiment because that is, you know, the idea of it going generation to generation. I'm looking at a text I sent to Josh when we first uh, heard the news and I was talking about sort of how children oftentimes want to hear the same story over and over again at bedtime. You know, mm. they don't get bored by it. As you get yeah. older, you don't want the same thing, but you find that you tell stories to people and you tell them over generations. You tell them whether it's to your kids, grandkids, writers tell them, but they take on their own lives. And here we have the privilege of it being the same, the same creator, 
Um, and it's going to be with his voice at a, at a mature age. And I realized I'm sort of like that kid. I'm here to hear that story again. And I'm really excited for others to hear it in whatever his voice is today, because I think that's going to create its own sort of uh, new entities. You know, it, it won't be the same show. And that's what I, that's what I really want it to be is not the same show with it. Battlestar Galactica was thematically similar in some ways, but really had its own amazing uh, offering. That's what I think this, this has the potential to be. Uh, but if they're going to be some of the same beats, some of the same stories, uh, I'm there for it because sometimes you want to hear that same classic concept just in an updated form that's relevant to you today. I love that. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. And Joe, I think it'll Very be nice. the last thought for uh, before we wrap things up today. Stories change, but the need to tell stories is innate in humans, and and we need new stories. Uh, whether we're talking about the uh, Greek mythology or Norse mythology or our superheroes, with our, which are our 21st century mythology, uh, these stories need to be told. And, and again, like everybody said here, I think we are all in agreement that JMS has the ability more than most people in, the, in this industry to do that and to do it well. And um, my fingers are crossed. I wasn't expecting this. I'm still a little, you know, skeptical about the platform that's going to be on the CW, but, you know, go for it, JMS, go for it. I think that's a, a great uh, point and sentiment to leave on. So I want to uh, thank everybody who is on this podcast today. Uh, thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Very much so. Thank you, uh, Chris. Always my pleasure. Uh, Josh, thank you for coming on as a guest. My pleasure. And John, thank you for coming on as a guest. Well, my pleasure. This is just a great way of sort of rehashing those old times in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to thank the listeners of this podcast. We apologize for some of the technical hiccups, but um, I think, I think overall it'll be still a great, was, is a great listening experience for you. Um, If you're interested in reaching at, reaching us, we um, have an email you can reach us at at secret origins, MC at Gmail. We have a Facebook group, um, secret origins of mint condition that you are open to join and continue this conversation. And uh, this will not be our last conversation of Babylon 5. This is probably the start of future conversations about the new show, but also returning to the old show and also an opening to future conversations about JMS and his work since it has influenced many, all the people in this room to some degree. So uh, thank you for listening and uh, we will talk to you soon.